Good morning. This is Northern Light for Monday, June 26th. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. On the one-year anniversary of the Dobbs decision, Governor Hochul signed a law to protect New York providers who prescribe medication abortions to pregnant people in other states where the practice has been outlawed. We're not going to cooperate with out-of-state investigations. We're not going to extradite. We're not going to issue subpoenas. So you can continue hell-bent down your path on continuing this radical behavior, but we'll be just as hell-bent in stopping you. Plus, in addition to battlefield tactics and military history, the Army's future leaders at West Point and Hudson Valley are learning about climate change, and girls in Clinton and Essex counties got the chance to practice in a brand-new sport this season. So when they announced that flag football was actually going to be a sport, I was like, look, better opportunity is there to be able to play some football. About 200 girls played varsity flag football during the sport's first season. More from our Champlain Valley reporter, Care Chapman, coming up. And we'll take a look at some of the events going on throughout the region. All of that is coming up on Northern Light. Stick with us. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by the Village Mercantile in Saranac Lake. Established in 2011 with a mission of community-fueled solutions with products for home, camp, and gift-giving. VillageMerc.com, anything but general. And by Apothecary Chocolates, making gourmet chocolates by hand from all-natural herbs, botanicals, and tree syrups. ApothecaryChocolates.com. This is Northern Light. I'm Monica Sandreski. And I'm Todd Moe. On the one-year anniversary of the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, Governor Kathy Hochul signed a law to protect New York providers who prescribe medication abortions to pregnant people in other states where the practice has been outlawed. From Albany, Karen DeWitt has more. The measure closes a loophole in a shield law approved last year. Healthcare providers who aid women from other states where abortion is outlawed to obtain the procedure are already protected from prosecution by those states under New York law. Since then, a federal judge in Texas has tried to invalidate the FDA's 23-year-old approval of medication abortions using the drugs mifepristone and misoprostol. The new law will protect providers in the state who prescribe medication abortions through telemedicine appointments and then mail the drugs to the patients. Governor Hochul, speaking at a bill-signing ceremony at the New York Academy of Medicine, says the state won't collaborate with law enforcement from other states where abortion is illegal who might try to punish the providers. We're not going to cooperate with out-of-state investigations. We're not going to extradite. We're not going to issue subpoenas. So... You can continue hell-bent down your path on continuing this radical behavior, but we'll be just as hell-bent in stopping you. This is New York. Academy of Medicine President Dr. Ann Kurth says the new law will aid women who are seeking the medicines but are not allowed to get them in their states. She says in states like Kansas, where abortion is legal, but it's surrounded by states where the practice is outlawed, women have to wait three to four weeks just to obtain an appointment to be prescribed the pills. How crazy is that? Like, we can mail pills in two or three days once this legislation is signed, and we will do that. Dr. Kurth says the method is safest and most effective 
effective when done earlier in a pregnancy. The abortion rights measure is just one of over a thousand bills approved by the Senate and Assembly in the 2023 legislative session. Hochul has not been as quick to sign the other bills, and she hasn't committed to approving any other piece of legislation. Many of the bills passed in the final weeks of the session were negotiated by the legislative leaders, but without the governor's input. Hochul's putting the lawmakers on notice. She says she will carefully examine all of that legislation in detail before she decides whether to sign or veto. She says 500 measures were approved in the final days of the session alone, which ended on June 21st. I don't remember being asked about 500 bills in the last week, so I'll simply say that 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 that, um, method works for the legislature. That is what they do. But now it is upon me to give more thoughtful analysis from my end to make sure that I'm making decisions that are the best for the entire state of New York, not just individual areas. Hochul worked with Senate and Assembly leaders to craft one of the major policy changes that was approved. A measure known as Clean Slate would seal some criminal records after the person convicted has served their time in order to help them obtain employment and housing. The governor has still not committed, though, to signing the bill. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Another blast of wildfire smoke hit the northern part of the North Country as well as the Ottawa, Montreal, and Burlington areas Sunday. Wildfires in Quebec continued to burn out of control. The National Weather Service issued an air quality alert Sunday. According to the federal airnow.gov website, the air reached very unhealthy levels in much of St. Lawrence, Franklin, and Clinton counties Sunday, including Plattsburgh. The National Weather Service observed a severe spike in smoke starting around noon Sunday. The air was even worse in Ottawa, where it was rated as hazardous. Forecasts predict more moderate air quality today. In addition to battlefield tactics and military history, the Army's future leaders at West Point in the Hudson Valley are learning about climate change. Under a new initiative, cadets at the Military Academy are trying to help the Defense Department solve climate challenges that could affect national security. Desiree DiOrio reports for the American Homefront Project. The next presentation here is going to be energy resilience of Army infrastructure. Take it away. In an auditorium adorned with West Point's motto, Duty, Honor, Country, seniors presented their capstone projects. One group's presentation focused on the possibility of transitioning the Army's tactical vehicles to a fully electric fleet and modeling what the charging infrastructure would look like on the bases. In conclusion, we can see that we have the data necessary to analyze the current Army's non-tactical vehicle fleet, and we have the knowledge of the EV replacements to conduct a life cycle analysis. Gregory Langoni, an engineering major, is one of the cadets who worked on the project. After his presentation, he said the work he's done as a student will have a direct impact on the work he'll do when he becomes an officer. We're going to be seeing this technology roll out and we're going to be some of the first people to uh, actually see it in action and use it. Professors and fellow cadets weren't the only audience members. So was Paul Farnan from the Army Office of Installations, Energy and Environment. That office oversees energy use on Army installations. 
Farnan says the cadet's work on charging infrastructure directly affects him as he works to get bases ready for more electric vehicles. What they're developing here, I want to turn around tomorrow and actually get it onto the installations. Farnan's office has teamed up with West Point to form the Sustainable Infrastructure Resilience and Climate Consortium. They're working to prepare the next generation of leaders for the climate change challenges they face now and into the future. Farnan says the focus is on solutions. Let's take the real-world big army problems that our soldiers are facing every day in their training on the battlefield, and let's use this academic institution to apply the theory behind it, and then as they figure it out in theory, let's take it and put it into the hands of soldiers, and let's test it out in the real world. Farnan says those challenges include fuel efficiency and how to store backup power. We've been working with these students throughout the course of the academic year. The ingenuity, the knowledge, the different perspective that they bring is incredible. Professors at West Point say the consortium's work transcends political debates over climate change and over what the military's priorities should be. Colonel Corey James runs the Department of Chemistry and Life Science. Sometimes these topics get watered down with politics, and that's unfortunate. And some would say, well, you're trying to do things that would take away the army and the military's uh, ability to fight in one of the nation's wars. James says the opposite is true. Preparing for climate change is in line with the academy's mission to educate and train cadets on how to win wars. Being more efficient will obviously help us with carbon emissions and those sorts of things, but it will likely make us more survivable and resilient on the battlefield. Cadets are not only studying how to electrify and charge military vehicles. They're also researching how water, either too much or too little, will affect geopolitics, how extreme weather is impacting bases, how artificial intelligence can play a role in energy efficiency. Langoni, the West Point senior, says he's proud to know his project on electric vehicles could have a real-world use for the Army. There is a group of five like seniors in college, but we're working for the Office of the Assistant Secretary of the Army, and the findings that we come up through this project can drastically affect how the Army is acquiring electric vehicles, both domestically in the United States and in our installations. Langoni says when he becomes an officer, he plans to continue studying the feasibility of the charging infrastructure models he developed as a student. And he says if the technology can work on Army bases, civilians could benefit in cities as well. I'm Desiree DiOrio on the campus at West Point. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. It's 11 minutes past 8. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up, we'll get a preview of a couple of the arts events in the region this week. That's in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. Music by Mark Corey out of Watertown. You can hear more of his music 
is part of our Underscore Project online anytime. Visit us at ncpr.org slash underscore. Supported by Adirondack Experience, the museum on Blue Mountain Lake presenting their new exhibition, Artists and Inspiration in the Wild, opening July 1st. Learn more at the adkx.org. And Siegel Festival in Scroon Lake, bringing opera and musical theater to the Adirondack since 1915. More at siegelfestival.org. Girls in Clinton and Essex counties got the chance to participate in a brand new sport this season. For the first time, Section 7 Athletics offered girls flag football. The season's final games took place earlier this month, but next year the region will send a team to the sport's first state-level championships. Champlain Valley reporter Kara Chapman spent some time with the Osable Valley Patriots, and she sends us this report from Clintonville. At a recent practice, Osable Valley quarterback Shauna Depot throws the football to one of her teammates. She makes it just a few yards before a player on the other team pulls one of her flags, stopping play. Each of the girls wears a belt with two flags attached by small pieces of plastic called pop sockets. Assistant coach Matt Stanley gets Depot and the rest of the offensive team into a huddle. They decide what they're going to do and line back up. As Depot catches the snap, head coach Jim Karen, acting as a defenseman, tries to flank her left side. But Depot is undeterred. She holds onto the ball and weaves back and forth past three defensive players before slipping past the safety and into the end zone. Touchdown! Coach Karen claims there's been some tampering. Flag gate, if you will. Depot and her teammates are part of Osable Valley Central's first ever varsity girls flag football team. It's one of 11 teams in Section 7. This spring, they joined dozens of others across the state who had their inaugural seasons over the last two years. The seed was planted in 2022. That's when New York's three NFL teams help schools in their home regions get things started. This year, the New York Giants reached out to Section 7 about bringing the sport here. And this is the quickest I've ever seen a sport develop. That's Matthew Wallentuck, the section's executive director. He says every school who participated got a bunch of supplies from USA football, like balls, flags, belts, and agility ladders. On top of that, the Giants kicked in $30,000 to be split among the teams for other expenses. Wallentuck says that financial support is what really made the difference. That really was the, the linchpin that really kick-started it, and it took off like a rocket ship. Wallentuck says everybody bought in, athletic directors, school administrators, football refs, and about 200 girls who signed up to play. Osable Valley junior Addie Stanley was one of them. She's no stranger to football. She's a kicker on the boys' tackle team. But she says she's always wanted to actually get out on the field and play. So when they announced that flag football was actually going to be a sport, I was like, what better opportunity is there to be able to play some football? The biggest difference between flag and tackle football, flag is a no-contact sport. Stanley admits that that can be challenging. Because in soccer, even, you're still using, like, shoulders and stuff like that. But you can't do really anything in this sport. It's always hands behind the back. But not when you're trying to pull one of those flags. Junior Layla Lincoln says her favorite part of the sport is defense, where that's her job. 
She pulls off her flag for me, and it makes this distinctive noise. What's it like when you hear that sound? Um, when you pull, it feels great, but when it gets pulled on you, you're like, oh, darn. <laughs> they caught me. Stanley says there are some other differences between tackle and flag football, like how you score extra points. But something else really makes this sport stick out for her. This team, honestly, has been one of the closest teams that I've ever been on. She says bigger teams tend to have people breaking off into smaller groups. But flag football is just seven on seven, so that's not the case. We have a lot of inside jokes. Um, We're just super close, and I'm so glad that I get to spend my time on the field with them. And you really do hear that with this team as they practice, the way that they encourage each other. One of the quarterbacks takes several throws to really learn how to lead her teammates with her passes. But when she gets it right... Kevin Hulbert is the executive principal of athletics at Osable Valley. He says he's watched a lot of these girls play other sports. But what sticks in his mind with flag football is the level of joy he sees on their faces. And the thing is, like, the girls went in and everybody kind of feels like they're on an even playing field because, like, no one's really an expert at the game. Hulbert admits that he's concerned about how bringing on a new sport may affect the school's ability to field other teams, like for softball. A bunch of the flag football girls played that sport this season, too. He thinks they'll be able to do both. But he says, at the end of the day, it's about what the kids want. You want to do what the kids are going to sign up for, right? You want them to be active. That's what it's about. Like, be active, take a risk, do something maybe you haven't done before. Um, and that's what we're always trying to trying to promote. Hulbert and Coach Karen think girls' flag football is here to stay. Karen says that's because it gives girls a chance to play the most popular sport in the country. I mean, you say what you want. I mean, they say baseball is America's game, but I think football is, really. Everybody loves football. And I really feel like that's why this has taken off. Back on Osable's turf, the Patriots wrap up their practice. Depot brings a ball to the final huddle. Everyone, coaches and players alike, reaches in to touch it. Team on three. Oh, one, two, three, team. Good job. None of these girls are seniors. Karen hopes that means they'll all be back next year when one team will become the state's first flag football champion. Kara Chapman, North Country Public Radio, Clintonville. Listening to Northern Light right here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm Monica Sandreski. Coming up in just a minute, we'll preview a couple of the arts events throughout the community in the next few weeks. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather for us. The Weather Service says clouds, uh, areas of haze, and some showers and thunderstorms in the forecast today and tomorrow as well. It looks like it's going to be a humid week with uh, scattered showers and thunderstorms uh, throughout, pretty much throughout the work week. With highs this afternoon, upper 70s, low 80s, light winds out of the east-southeast, lows around 60 tonight. And then tomorrow, also about an 80% chance of showers and thunderstorms on Tuesday. And also that haze uh, from the uh, wildfires in Canada uh, continues to affect us here in uh, in the North Country. And if you want more information 
uh, forecasts and also um, more information about air quality data for our region, you can check out uh, a new page. We have the direct link on our website, uh, airnow.gov. You'll find that information in one place, ncpr.org slash weather. Uh, Right now in Canton, 69 degrees, cloudy skies. The majority of the art at the Hyde Collection Glens Falls was collected by museum founders Charlotte and Lewis Hyde. But the curators continue to acquire new works to expand and diversify the museum's collection. This summer, they're displaying a group of 10 recent acquisitions. And over the next couple of months on Northern Light, we'll hear from exhibit curator Bryn Schockmel about a few of the pieces. Today, we're looking at a piece by modernist artist Marc Chagall called Oracle Over Babylon. This is a a hand-colored etching. So the distinction there being that an etching normally is only black and white, and this one is black and white, but then it has color added to it. So it's a hand-colored etching, and it's a tricky one to describe, actually, because Chagall's works are often very dreamlike. But we see at the top a figure, a winged figure, perhaps an angel, who has green wings. And then below, we see some buildings and some people and a sort of curved, you know, looks like the land or the earth. Um, And then the dark sky up above and then a sort of big flag. So it's a sort of unusual one. It is unusual. I think of all the pieces in the recent acquisitions, this one might be my favorite. It's a Oh, really? Yeah, or maybe my second favorite. But I think uh, <laughs> for being an etching, it also has sort of like a charcoal sort of quality. It it does. It definitely does. Yes, and and that just those hints of color you know, really it, it and they're just hints. You know, it's not Mm-hmm. hand colored throughout but a bit of green in the wings a bit of yellow mm-hmm. down towards um i assume that's babylon as it's called oracle over yeah. babylon but um yeah. it just brings out that bit of specificity to it no yeah it's it's a really unique one yes what do you notice about it well the color definitely draws your eyes the sort of angel figure at the top And then you sort of look down and you see it actually kind of, when you look closer, it seems kind of upsetting because there are people that at the bottom who might be dead or maybe they're sleeping, but they're all sort of laying down with their arms spread wide and you're sort of confused about what's happening. Anything else you'd like to add about this piece or um, how it fits into the larger exhibit? I can say that, Visitors might be familiar with Chagall's work. He did a lot of murals. And so he did a mural for the Metropolitan Opera in New York City and also did a mural for the Opera Garnier in Paris. Big, colorful, really sort of dreamlike imagery. And so this is similar to his work in that sense, the sort of dreamlike, not always a clear narrative. Bryn Schockmill is the curator of the Hyde's Permanent Collection talking about Oracle over Babylon by modernist artist Mark Chagall. The recent acquisitions exhibit is on display through September 17th. Time is coming up on 824. You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. And uh, just a reminder uh, to check out a new exhibit opening later this week 
at Morristown Gateway Museum. Uh, it's called The Small Fish, Life and Leisure on Black Lake. And the opening is coming up Thursday afternoon, well, Thursday evening from 4 to 6 at the uh, Morristown Gateway Museum right on Main Street in Morristown. Uh, Thursday from 4 to 6, you're invited to check out the opening reception of The Small Fish, Life and Leisure on Black Lake. And we'll hear from some of the folks who put that exhibit together a little later this week. One of the events happening around our region. Also, don't forget to check out the North Star Gallery on Pearl in Malone. Gail Bissett began her career in the Adirondack region, and she creates abstract paintings in various medium, mediums. And there will be a reception with Gail on June 30th, coming up this week, with a performance by Martha Gallagher, the Adirondack Harper. You hear her on the show, music underneath the uh, underneath them during our music beds on our morning news shows. You can find out more at foothillsartsociety.com. Also coming up uh, in the region, the Pride event coming up at uh, the Old Forge Library in Herkimer County Pride Alliance. This is their first anniversary. There will feature music, dancing, t-shirt making, a family-friendly event, a Pride celebration coming up Friday, June 30th at 5 o'clock at the Old Forge Library. And of course, music. Communities throughout the region are celebrating summertime music and good vibes this season with outdoor concert series. I think of the Norwood Village Green Concert Series and the Great Camp Sagamore Concert Series in Racket Lake. And now we've got a preview of this weekend's show in Glens Falls at the Park Theater Summer Series. The trio The Ladles is performing tomorrow, June 27th, at the Radio Bean in Burlington, then on Friday night in Glens Falls at the Summer Concert Series at the Bandshell in Crandall Park. It's hosting uh, concerts Friday nights throughout July on Fridays from 7 to 8.30. So this is a preview of The Ladles. This is their song, Sophie.
That's the song Sophie by the group The Ladles. They're performing this Friday night at the Bandshell in Crandall Park as part of the Park Theater's summer concert series. Friday nights throughout July from 7 to 8.30. You can find out more from the Park Theater. And that's it for Northern Light for this Monday, June 26th. Morning edition continues in just a minute. Then stick around for the Marketplace Morning Report at 8.51. I'm Monica Sandreski. I'm Todd Moe. Thanks for listening. Be well.